Hi there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast at Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. Uh, my name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads. And uh, today we get to listen to a message from Pastor Beth Stockett, continuing in our time series, Once Upon a Time. And we've been, uh, can you remember any of the ones that we've done so far, Scott? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. We've done what? Beyond Time? Before oh, Time. Before Time. Oh, shoot. Here I said I could. I was about to uh, say, man, I'll, I'll listen to you. Before Time, Within Time, Throughout Time, At the Right Time, and Here with Beth, Regardless of Time. I like it. It's a lot of time. That is a lot of time. <laughs> and I, you know, I like it because it's not often I've heard um, Christmas sermons um, coming from the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, that's not a common. Not common. Usually but I, Isaiah, if it's from the Old Testament, it's yeah. not going to be anything. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I thought they did a really good job of being creative. Because uh-huh. sometimes the Christmas season, we can become so used to the same songs that we sing every year and the same decorations we pull out that we would never put up except right. for Christmas, you know? Right. Um, but for them to mix it up in a way that I thought was really cool. But today she's talking about regardless of time. And uh, you may be asking, what does that mean regardless of what time? And to answer that, you're going to have to listen to the message. So here's Beth, and we'll come at you right after she's done. Well, good morning. Hi, I'm Beth. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm loving the weather. (laughs) When we got here this morning, it was like rain snowing, which is apparently a thing. But I will tell you what, it is always an adventure living in Idaho. You never know what you're going to get. It could be 60 tomorrow. (laughs) But thank you for being here this morning. And happy sixth day of Christmas. It is. It's the sixth Day. Last year as a church, we spent time talking about the difference between Advent and the difference between Christmas and Advent, and how we often mistake those weeks leading up to Christmas as a celebration of Christmas itself. But the reality is the historical church calendar, Christmas begins on, on December 25th, and for 12 days, the 12 days of Christmas, It's to be celebrated till January 6th, or Epiphany, with the coming of the wise men. And so here we are in the middle of the Christmas season. You will see that's why the decorations are still up. That's why we sang a Christmas song this morning. And that's why today is the day that we chose to end our series on time. Because isn't it interesting that even in the celebration of time in Christmas we still get it backwards. We reduce it down to a day. We minimize the celebration when in reality it's meant to be enjoyed in its fullness. We are meant to enjoy God in all of his fullness. And that takes time as he works in us and through us. We've talked about God acting before there was time, within time, throughout time, at the right time, And this morning, we are ending on God working regardless of time. And I realized as I began to put this message together that regardless of time could mean something completely different for each and every one of us in this room. That regardless of our journey, that those words can land differently because of what's going on in our hearts. Are you talking about regardless of my time? 
Are you talking about regardless of, uh, of your time? Are you talking about regardless of his time? Or regardless of the concept of time altogether? What is it that we are talking about when we talk about the regardlessness of time? And I began to think through that for some of us, that could spark some different emotions. For some of us coming in to hear regardless of time, we may be feeling that the reality is regardless of time, some things still hurt. It's been five years since she passed away, and it still hurts. It's been three years since the divorce. It still hurts. Beth, it doesn't matter. Regardless of the time that passed, I'm not okay because of what's been done. I recognize that for some, you may be feeling that way this morning. For others, you may be feeling that regardless of the passing of time and the growing fear, God, God is at work. It's been a while. It's been 10 years. I'm still waiting. It's okay. I'm okay while I wait. There's some growing angst, but for the most part, I know God's got this. I'm going to be all right. For some of us, regardless of the amount of time we commit to something, we're beginning to realize that it really doesn't matter because it's completely reliant on him anyway. I've sunk 25 years of my life into this career. I have invested so much time into this relationship. But the truth is, it's not about us. That regardless of the amount of time passing, we're beginning to learn and grapple with that reality. For some of us, regardless of the amount of time that we have been lost, abused, or ignored, we have learned that God can redeem and use our story. I'm okay because he says I'm okay. Regardless of what has happened or the time I spent suffering, I'm okay. And for some of us, we're beginning to grapple with that reality that things that have broken in time have broken because we've broken them. That regardless of what we've broken, God's still at work. It's been three years, and I still haven't called them. It's been 12 years, and I haven't apologized yet. But I, I know God is at work, and I'm learning and I think the truth is we can't continue on in this message until we recognize that the reality is that for some of us who are here in this room, regardless of the amount of time that has passed, we're still not fully convinced God has worked at all. It's been 10 years and I'm still waiting, Beth. I'm not okay and where is he? And our cries of agony feel deep and they feel real and there are parts of us that feel like our story is on hold. There are parts of us that feel like our story hasn't even been written or we don't even have a story. I was reminded a couple weeks ago, we went back to Vienna, we saw the school, we were able to walk through the city and process it. We walked through the Jewish quarter. There's a synagogue there, but this quarter of the city, on the night of broken glass in World War II, Nazis came in, ripped people from their homes, threw things out the window, hence broken glass, and hauled people off to concentration camps and other places. And the city built this in recognition of what had happened. It, you can't see it very well, but it's a library. It's a library with two doors with no handles. 
that were unable to get inside. And each and everything on that monument is a book. A book with the spines facing away so that no one can read the story or the title and it's representing the lives of all the people who were killed or their lives were cut short and their stories never told or never written. And they're not the only ones. Charles Dickens revolutionized literature on the, the, the turn of the 19th century when he began writing about the poor and the oppressed in Great Britain. And he began to talk about their stories that went unwritten, their stories that nobody saw because the rich were oppressing them. And I think sometimes we feel that way when it comes to time. So much time is passing, and yet things don't feel resolved. That somehow... Our time just means nothing. That regardless of our pain and our struggle, life just keeps on keeping on. So which, which of these regardlessnesses of time are we talking about this morning as we close out the Christmas series? And I think the answer could be all of them. Because I think for each and every person in this room, regardless of time, can land differently. And God, who is our creator and our sustainer and who loves us intimately, knows our heart. He knows what we need. And this can speak to each and every one of us, young to old and everywhere in between. Because the truth is that we are all constantly aware of and affected by time. At all points in our life, we recognize when time has gone too fast, when time has slowed down, when you feel like something's taking an eternity, like my daughter waiting for Christmas. We are constantly aware of it, affected by it, and it brings up these emotions and these responses. And yet God in his depth and in his richness is aware of our awareness and of all the feelings that come with it, and he works in it. He works in all of the seasons of our lives, and that's why we can't be afraid, regardless of what season that we're in, to see God at work. I think that's what Jim meant when he said we are to be a verse one through eight person. We've been unpacking the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three this Christmas season, and the orator, the person who is telling us these verses you will see that it is poetic in nature and there are these phrases, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to kill, a time to heal. There are 28 phrases paired together for 14 lines. There is a sense of completion because when authors write through poetic form in scripture, they're not wanting us to fixate on one we're not supposed to land in it's time to dance forever, although that would be fun. <laughs> we are supposed to embrace all the fullness of life. We are supposed to look at that and extract the deeper meaning, and the deeper meaning being that God is in control and it's okay that these seasons of life happen to us, and they're on purpose. The early pagan religions believed that time and life was left up to chance. 
to fate and the whims of sort of helpless gods. What this author is doing is telling us that not only did God create time, he acted within it, he acted on purpose. We can be reassured and comforted that he makes everything beautiful in its time and that he sets eternity in our hearts. There is a piece of us that recognizes that there is something more. There is a part of us that grapples with what comes next, with who he is. He has set eternity in our hearts, and that's a good thing. But I want to draw your attention that there is not a period at the end of that. There is a comma. He has set eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. Even though he has set eternity in our hearts, we can't see all the pieces. We cannot see from the beginning to the end. It's like a child who has caught the corner of an unwrapped Christmas present and is so excited because they can see what's in there. Or like my daughter who upon is running in there on Christmas Day and shaking presents. We catch a glimpse of eternity, and we caught a glimpse when God broke into our time in Christ. And that longing never leaves us. That longing is always there, even in the befuddled confusion of a broken relationship, even in the contented sigh of new birth, and all the places in between. That longing is there when we look at the mountains, when we listen to music, and even in our suffering. It's there, but yet we cannot comprehend the completeness and the greatness of a creative and intimate God. So how will we ever be able to understand his story and the beginning from the end? We are not God. We will not see it all. Revelation 1 tells us that he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Is it possible that we can't understand the whole story because we are not God? He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the story. It's about him. And we, not, we may not be able to understand it all, but we can rest in it. So what the orator is doing is reminding us of these tough questions of life. How can God act regardless of time as I know it? And then he asks me to trust. To trust him for the things that I can't see. This verse portrays God as creator making everything beautiful and making man with a desire to know and understand the scheme of things but man is not in a position to view what God has done from beginning to end. He wants to comprehend God's plan in its entirety, but cannot. It remains a mystery. Man is not satisfied with experience and observation limited to the fixed and closed world. Man's desire is for eternity, and he will not be satisfied with anything else. And even though we are not satisfied, we still don't understand it. And we're asked to trust. That's what faith is. 
Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. For generations, young to old, we are trusting the part of God's story, the part of our stories that we can't see. There are parts of our story that don't make sense, that feel incomplete, that feel unresolved, almost like books turned backwards that no one can see. Does anybody else feel anger and frustration and exhaustion from this? I do, sometimes. I struggle to realize why my story doesn't make sense at times. Why there are pieces that just don't quite fit. Moments that I feel like are passing me by as opportunities are held captive by my circumstances and my place in this world. Yet, if this series has taught me anything, it has taught me that God works regardless of my time, but not regardless of his. There is fear, there is anxiety that we sometimes feel when time seems to be running short, when the waiting on his promises feel, feels eternal and our emotions are exhausted, when we fear that the story might go on without us, when we fear that we're running to catch up with the story, when we feel like our effectiveness for the kingdom is an hourglass running slim as we wait for God to do his work in us. But the truth is, is it's in the waiting that the story is being written. We are not running to catch up to our story. That our effectiveness for the kingdom is only palatable to others through his refining and defining process. That is the sweetness of God working regardless of time because he is not on a time crunch. He's not in a rush. He knows the story from beginning to end and he's working through us in the journey. And it's this that makes us relatable to others. That's the beauty of the gospel stories. So many times we rush through the stories of scripture and we tend to read them one-dimensionally, instantaneously. Almost as if it's microwave cooking instead of oven cooking. We glance over huge passages of time in a moment because it's one verse, one thought. We think about Moses. Moses who spent 40 years in the desert. And I'm not talking about 40 years in the desert leading God's people. I'm talking about the man who spent 40 years in the desert after running from killing an Egyptian. And it's in that 40 years that he learns how to survive in the wilderness. It's in that 40 years that the parts of him that need to be softened are softened. And the parts of him that need to be made stronger are made stronger so that when God was ready so that he would get the glory, he was ready to show up in a burning bush to Moses. But if we're not careful, we glance over those and somehow the Bible stories feel unrelatable to us and to the time we live in because it feels like things happen so fast. 
I think about Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who says, yes, may it be unto me as you have said, and then has nine months to be pregnant. Nine months where she has to grapple with and wonder, how in the world am I going to raise God? Eat your peas? I don't, can I tell him what to do? There's this refining process. We think about Joseph in the Old Testament who spends years in prison. And we glance over that, the 400 years in captivity that God's people spent at the hands of the Egyptian, the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years in which generations of people died waiting for his promises. People who never saw how it all ended and yet were a part of the story. There is a beauty in the waiting. And when we try to rush things, our solutions are bound and limited. But when we wait on his timing, the solutions are eternal and lasting. That is the hope we find in God acting regardless of our time. He's not bound by the earthly things that he has created, like time. He knows the story from beginning to end. He's in no rush. He's not playing catch-up. He's not fearful of the unknown. He's not fearful of our emotions as we experience the unknown, for what is unknown is known to him. And chapters of our lives have not been forgotten by our God. And you know the truth is... Yes, sometimes we feel like the story will go on without us. But could it be that that's on purpose because God has somebody else who he wants to come along to pick up where we left off because his story is more powerful and more potent and reaches more people when there are others involved. Sometimes there are a reason why chapters of our life go unfinished. And am I okay with that? Are we okay with that? Are we okay that God doesn't do all of his work in one generation? I've learned the hard lessons that it's that truth that the generations can actually begin to understand each other. That the generations can begin to bridge the widening gulf between them by recognizing the work that God is playing in each and every one of them, but it's all part of a greater whole. We are all important. But the story is not about us. We live in a world that loves to thrive on the hero movies and books that are all centered on one hero who gets to commandeer and command the story and claim his destiny. Yes, we have an important part to play in this story, but this isn't our story. This is his story, and we get to play a part. Just like the biblical narrative, the picture of Christ's genealogy would look pretty funny if there were giant chunks missing. This is Matthew chapter 1 as we enter into the New Testament. The first thing we encounter is the genealogy of Christ. And it would look really strange if it went from Isaac to Jesse to Josiah to Jacob 
to Joseph because pieces would be missing. I was reminded of my, <laughs> my son. We have this video of him. I'm not going to show it because he's actually on the toilet. <laughs> but, but we caught a glimpse of him through the open door in the bathroom. And he is he's three years old at the time. And he is singing as loud as he possibly can that you don't know your beautiful song by One Direction. <laughs> Except he doesn't know all the words. So he's going, baby, nobody else the way that you flip. Overwhelmed. You don't know you're beautiful. <laughs> and he's having a blast. It's adorable and it's precious and it's utter nonsense. Why? Because there's giant gaps missing in the song. The song doesn't make any sense. So too would the genealogy of Christ not make any sense if pieces were missing. And so too would the genealogy from the birth of Christ to his second coming not make any sense if there were links missing between us. We are part, if we claim the name of Jesus, of his genealogy from his birth to his second coming, and we have a part to play in passing on the message of hope from one generation to another, and his story is deeper and richer and fuller when we stop and recognize God's faithfulness to the people who've come before and his faithfulness to the people who will come after us. This could read, and Joseph, and Christ, and you, and me, we are part of that genealogy. And genealogies were no joke to the Jewish people, and they shouldn't be for us. As Jim and Ryan unpacked for us a couple weeks ago, the very first thing we're hit with in the New Testament is this list of names. And when I was first beginning in ministry and I would encounter someone who was coming to scripture for the first time or new to the Bible, I would often tell them to skip over chapter one and go straight to the story. And I will never do that again. Because even if these names are hard to read and are 27 syllables, the truth is, is that when we stop and look at them, we see that there was a plan and a purpose from the beginning of time to the birth of Christ and that a lot of people played a part and that we get to play a part too. And when that person picks up the Bible, they can realize that it's their story too. Never again will I tell someone to skip chapter one. It's the genealogy, this long list Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and he's doing so for a couple of reasons. One, he's telling the story of Christ, but he's also proving that Jesus is the Messiah by preserving his lineage. That regardless of the amount of time that has passed, Jesus is the king. For the Jewish people, political authority was closely linked to family heritage. And you will see up there King David. David, the man after God's own heart. You will see him as a part of that genealogy. And it's fascinating when you read things. Lois Toberg, she's a scholar and theologian who studied in the Middle East. She says this, in the ancient Near East, a common expectation was that sons would take on their father's profession and serve the same gods that he did. Along with this inherited identity came the strong assumption that children would resemble their father in personality, too. 
when Jesus is described as a son of David, it tells us that he is a descendant of the line of David, and like David, he is a powerful king. David is in that genealogy for a reason. King David, who made horrible mistakes, his mistake with a married woman, Bathsheba, God redeemed that. He had no idea God would. God redeemed that and gave him a son, Solomon, that you will see in the genealogy of Christ. David didn't know how it was all going to end, and David begins to recognize that he's not the major player here. And we read that in the Psalms. We read, hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears. I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. David made huge mistakes throughout his story. And yet, regardless of the time David spent going against God's will, God still redeemed it. And in the anguish of the Psalms, David's heart is being changed. If you find yourself... that there this morning, if you find yourself in the waiting, struggling to recognize where God is in the midst of it, I would challenge you to sit with him for as long as it takes. And I don't mean wallow in your own misery or feel sorry for yourself. I mean sit with him for as long as it takes to do his work in you because healing is only true healing if it's complete. And if we rush the process we sell ourselves short of what God is doing in us. The lineage is important. Herod, Herod, who was given authority by the Romans when Jesus was born to rule over the Jewish people, Herod did not have the lineage. He was very aware of his illegitimate birth. And so what did he begin to do? He began to break in, he began in, in the synagogues to take genealogies and burn them. So Matthew is not only telling us the story, he is also preserving the lineage of Christ. It is that important. And there are countless others who don't recognize what God is doing in their story, who have no idea the beginning from the end. And we don't have time to go through all of them. <laughs> if you want, do, because it's really fun. But I even think about people like King Hezekiah. If you want to read his whole story, go to Isaiah 37 through 39. But there's a part of his story where Hezekiah becomes really ill. And Isaiah comes to him and says, you're going to die. So put your stuff in order. It's over. You're toast. And Hezekiah cries out, in sorrow and anguish to God, and God grants him 15 more years of life. And in thankfulness, he prays this psalm to God, and at the end of it, he says, each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. And it's during that 15-year span, from the time that he was cured of his illness to the time he dies, that his only son, Manasseh, is born. Jesus, who came from this line, God was setting the stage 
early on for the true king to come when the time was right. And there are countless others who played parts in this story. I think of Joseph. I think of Joseph. He didn't know the whole story. And there's no way he could have seen how it was all going to end. But he got enough of a glimpse to have the hope he needed, and he left the rest for God to fill in. Writing to a Jewish audience, Matthew is again proving that Joseph is intimately involved in the story and chose to take Mary home as his wife, proving again the validity of Christ's lineage, since it was done often through the male heir. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. We can see his genealogy. God's plan of salvation is for all people in all phases of life, from the beginning to the end. And all of the, although these people didn't see the whole scope of God's work, they were still a part of his redemption story, and so are we. And so is every person who is called on the name of Christ throughout history. There is one thing that links all of us in this room together. Regardless of your place in time in your generation, regardless of your place in time in this generation, regardless of your story, regardless if you were born in California, Nebraska, or were Idaho born, regardless of your race or ethnicity or gender, there is one thing that links all of us together. And it's the simple fact that not a single one of us knows all the parts of our story. Time has leveled the playing field. As C.S. Lewis says, we all reach the future at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. And that's comforting. And that's encouraging. And that is the present of time that we are given because it's then that we can stop and listen to one another. When we recognize that he is in control and we are not in such a hurry or rush to make things happen the way that I think they should happen or that my generation is the worst and is suffering the most, when we stop and recognize that God's got this, no matter what's going on, we begin to allow ourselves the space to listen to the people around us. We begin to utilize the gift of time that we have been given and regardless of the amount of time that we have, we begin to recognize that all time is his. And that he taught us through his son, Christ, how to utilize time. Jesus' life was never feverish. He had time for people. He could spend hours talking to one person. Such as the Samaritan woman at the well, his life showed a wonderful balance, a sense of timing. And so we come back to our Christmas video. And, though, and even though none of us, past or present, have been able to see the full measure of God's actions in our time on this earth. We have been given enough of a glimpse to find the hope we lack, the healing we need, the desperate restoration of relationships we have broken, and a salvation secured for both now and the future through the greatest once-upon-a-time story the world has ever known. For he has made everything beautiful 
in its time. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, but even so, we cannot see the scope of God's work from the beginning to the end, and you know what? It's okay. And we're okay. We are more than okay. We hold to the hope that God's perfect plan is executed in his time and regardless of ours. We are to be part of the story, a part of the genealogy of God's people from one generation to the next, passing on the message of hope until he returns. And that is the significance of Christmas. Once again, and it sounds silly to say this every time, but what a great message. I love that. that you know, we asked that question before the break for the sermon and, you know, what, regardless of what time, she says regardless of our time, not regardless of his time. That he's never in a rush. He's never in a time crunch. He's never, oh no, never worried. It's us who need to live in the waiting. Need to wait on him. And, and what a great quote. She had that quote, that Schultz quote. And I'll read that to you, and I'd love to hear your response, Scott. This verse portrays God as creator, making everything beautiful, and making man with a desire to know and to understand the scheme of things. But man is not in a position to view what God has done from beginning to end. He wants to comprehend God's plan in its entirety, but cannot. It remains a mystery. Man is not satisfied with experience and observation limited to the fixed and closed world. Man's desire is for eternity and he will not be satisfied with anything less. What'd you think of that? Wow, that that is, that's that's heady, isn't it? It makes you think. Um, you know, it reminds me of, you know those uh, cathedrals they made in the Middle Ages, where when you started, you were not going to f- live to see that thing done. Your grandkids weren't going to live to see that thing done. It took hundreds of years uh, of time. Uh, in order to build something so grand and beautiful. And shoot, now there's some of the most beautiful things that we have on earth is some of those cathedrals. And it took a long time. It took the teamwork of generations. And, you know, I'm sure they would have loved to have seen the fruit of their labor, but they never did. And uh, that's what I think of is what we're going through now. Sometimes it's so frustrating when I look around and see some of the turmoil that the church is going through in China now or some political things or religious things and just either here at home or in other countries. And I think, man, God, what are you doing? Um, and, uh, and it's easy to, to question God because I see things in my own time. Um, but there's a bigger, grander uh, picture here that I need to look at and trust in him. Yeah. No, it's it's really true. And, and I'm going to mention another movie. For some reason, I got movies on the brain. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting that you say that. There's a movie out there, Crazy Rich Asians. Have you seen ads for that? Uh-uh, no. Oh my gosh, it's it's a comedy. And you know, we went and saw it. It was a while ago. It came out, and it's really a great movie, hilarious movie. And uh, but one of the things this this woman says, it's a a woman from Singapore, and her her son wants to marry this. A woman of Chinese descent, but who's from America. And she says, you Americans don't understand how to build something that lasts. 
And so she's saying why, you know, she doesn't want her son to marry her because, you know, that there's a very wealthy family and, you know, it's about building something that lasts. And you talk about the cathedrals and I always feel like cathedrals are such a mixed bag because they were also paid for by indulgences and by a very corrupt church. But at the same time, they're beautiful. And there's something, something cool and something lasting about, uh, not seeking immediate gratification, but literally giving your life up for something that you will never see the fruition of, right? And I think that's what the gospel is about in a lot of ways. We're not only living for ourselves, but for our children, our children's children, to know the gospel, to know this God. You know, we we don't get to see all of his plan. We get to play the part that we have. And that's what I love that the example she gave was that we see the genealogy that led to Jesus. And through the book of Acts and through the history of the church, we see the genealogy that extends to us, that we are children of God. Through Jesus, we have been brought into his family and we can trace our lineage back through things that some things were ashamed of, like the cathedrals and the crusades and, and, and lots of things in the church that we're ashamed of, but also some good things. Same thing with the genealogy of Christ. There were people in the genealogy of Christ that had bad things that they did, you know, things that they were not proud of to be a part of, but also there were good things. And all throughout, we see that he is working things out, even through the bad things. I thought that was pretty cool. It's remarkable thinking that I stand on the shoulders of giants uh, from before me, uh, that I'm able to, the the future, that what we do now will affect the, the future and that my story is just a small part of the story, the grand story. And I wish I could see the whole thing. I mean, wouldn't it be exciting in heaven? Maybe we'll get to see. Right, see some sort of map or, you know. No, I think that's a good point. And I think that's what makes intergenerational worship so important. That's what makes it so important to have our, you know, we call our, our youth group generation now. Because they don't need to wait for us to leave to take over. Right, we want them to be part of leading and worshiping, and and we want to do this together because it's so important for us to recognize that, you know, we do we stand on the shoulders of the people that went before us. We get to continue the work that they do, and I think if we looked at the even the local church that way, that it would be better for us because I think we'd see okay, you know, look at what Crossroads has done, look at how much it has grown, how much it is a blessing to people. Now let's take it even further. But instead, what happens so often is we forget where we've come from and we try to redo it and reinvent the wheel and we miss out on continuing God's vision in a certain area. And so as you're listening today, maybe you're wondering, what is Crossroads all about? You know, how could I even be a part of Crossroads? I mean, it looks like they're a big church. They don't they don't need anybody to go. We need you because uh, God has more to do in the Treasure Valley. God has there's poverty that God has an answer for. There is hopelessness that God has an answer for. And we want to more and more create a place of refuge here in this valley where people can come, they can know God, they can be healed by him, they can be transformed, and then they can partner with him in their community and bring more and more people to this knowledge of this God who worked before time, within time, throughout time, at the right time, regardless of time, in order to reach them. And so as you're listening to this podcast today, if you don't know this God, please, we would love to talk to you. Come and join us on a Sunday or, you know, if you're watching online, uh, you can email us. Let us know. We would love to be praying for you. We would love to find ways to get you more connected. And uh, you are always welcome to join us each week here on The Refuge. 
as we listen to these amazing messages and talk more and more about this God and how we fit into the genealogy. Thank you.